0: Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of Remnant Radio. My name is Joshua Lewis, and today we are going to be discussing uh, uh, the experience of God. How do we experience more of God in the midst of worship? It's going to be an exciting episode. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowdfunded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Hey guys, as said earlier, uh, today's show is entirely dedicated to experiencing God in the midst of worship. I wanted to define those terms for some of you who may think I'm saying something that I am not. But before I do that, can I let you know what we're doing today? Today, you're watching Remnant Radio, but today's Wednesday. So we have a show called To Be Continued, where we gather together to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit. Uh, we, We call it To Be Continued because we believe the gifts have been continued. The manifestations of the Spirit have continued. Uh, So we'll often uh, discuss the charismatic excesses along with the cessationist excesses and and try to begin to give uh, biblical and theological reasons why uh, we believe and practice the gifts of the Spirit uh, in a way that is both theologically faithful uh, to the text of Scripture and consistent with the practice that we see in Scripture, when it comes to testing these sort of things, making sure that they're done rightfully and in order. So, I hope you enjoy the show. Make sure to like and subscribe as we come out with content like this every single week. But, but you'll notice Josh is running solo. There is no Michael Roundtree. There is no Michael Miller. Uh, where are these guys? Well, Michael uh, Miller is on vacation with his wife, and Michael Roundtree went to write this weekend in his family cabin. Uh, and as it is a family cabin, a, a cabin, a bunch of his family members showed up for. Memorial Day weekend. They all had fun and fellowshiped, uh, but they also sucked dry the data there from the cabin. So he was unable to participate with us today, but we're with both of them in spirit. Super thankful for both of them. Uh, But as we are talking about the show, I would really encourage you maybe give if you're First time, not a first time watcher. If you're first time watcher, get out of here. Uh, but man, if you've been blessed by the show, uh, you've enjoyed the content that we've produced here, I would encourage that you maybe give on PayPal or Patreon. Uh, we're entirely crowdfunded ministry. So if you give on PayPal, it's a one-time gift, but you give on Patreon, it's low as five bucks a month. Uh, it helps us uh, support us month to month to keep producing content just like this. It means a whole lot to us. For those of you who already give, and for those of you who are considering giving, it really helps uh, impact our ministry and keeps us doing the things that we're doing. Uh, we're doing a Kingdom of the Cults book on Patreon. So if you give on Patreon, you actually get access uh, to a weekly book club where we gather together at uh, 1 p.m., read through a chapter each week, and kind of tackle some of these cult groups. The ones that we're doing this week is Jehovah Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, so we read about half of that chapter. Uh, but if you're picking up and this is the first time you're joining anyone read that whole chapter, you won't have to miss anything at all. Uh, It's going to be a really enjoyable discussion. So look forward to seeing some of you guys there on Saturday. Now, uh, as we dive into this, I also want to remind you of one last thing. It's the last announcement, I promise. Uh, It's the prophetic conference that's coming up here in February. You'll see the website listed there in Oklahoma City. It's actually at Sam Storm's Church at Bridgeway. Uh, We're going to have uh, 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 Mark Sharona, we're gonna have Jack Deer, we're gonna have Sam Storms, we're gonna have uh, Kim Moss, Chris Green, and the Remnant Radio crew, myself, Miller, and Roundtree, will all be gathering together there in Oklahoma City. Uh, They're gonna be round tables discussing the prophetic, uh, and, and we want you there. We want you to ask your questions. You can engage with us. There's a promo code there at the top of your screen that you can check out uh, when you go to the website to pre register. Now, that's it. All of that is out of the way. Let's unpack some of those terms. Let's unpack what we're talking about when we say experience and when we say worship. Now, when I say worship, I don't mean praise, right? Here in the West, it it seems as if praise and worship are like synonyms. They mean the same thing. Uh, But that's not at all what I mean praise, certainly song, certainly singing, absolutely. But when I say worship, I mean this like lifestyle that we see in Romans, that our our spiritual act of worship is that we give our lives to God. So when I say worship in this sense, on this video, I'm talking about the gathering together of God's people on the Lord's day and and living in such a way and practicing their worship in such a way that is glorifying and honoring God to God. Uh, so from the, the time that we gather together, our assembling uh, glorifies God. The fact that we're praying together glorifies God. The fact that we're worshiping, that we're, we're praising God in song uh, glorifies God. The fact that we're reading his word, the taking of the elements, baptizing new believers, these are things that magnify and glorify Christ in our midst. So, so we practice these things as a midst of worship. Um, in addition to that, when I say experience, Uh, I want to maybe demystify it for some of my charismatic brothers and maybe mystify it a little bit for maybe some of my cessationist brothers. When I talk about experiencing God in the midst of worship, uh, I I would say, uh, first of all, that God has allowed these means of grace, not for salvation, but for sanctification, that he meets us in these places, that, that God is present when we gather together. When two or more are gathered together in my name, I am in their midst, right? So Christ is uniquely with us when we gather together. His presence is with us. And, and, and whether we believe that or feel that, he's there. But as we believe that, as we as as we believe that, we can, I believe, begin to feel that and experience that in a physical, tangible way. Way Again, I think we see this throughout the Bible as it talks about the presence of God uh, came into that place. Where the Spirit of the Lord came upon that prophet, upon that minister. And when it talks about the presence of God in the Old Testament, what is that presence? Well, I do believe there are certain means throughout worship as we're practicing worship that God meets us. He's chosen to meet us in these Places, so so in one sense, I want to demystify this in that I don't talk about experiencing God as as flopping on the floor and, and screaming and wailing. Which again, uh, there's an entire video that we've done on Jonathan Edwards on judging revivals and judging those kinds of manifestations. I, I, I'm not one who's going to look to that and say all of that's demonic either, or all of that's flesh. Uh, but what I am saying is that when I say experiencing God, I'm not talking about third heaven encounters. I'm not talking about traveling to heaven. I'm not talking about like seeking after these. Extra biblical manifestations, what I am talking about is experiencing this grace that God has given through his mediated presence of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy, the as we hear the word, it builds us up, it encourages us, but but that's a grace that, that helps sustain us throughout our week. And the Spirit is present, ministering that grace to us in a way that I think that we can experience. But Before I dive into the theological side of it, I want to kind of give you a story that I think helps articulate what I believe and think about the subject using communion. Uh, I grew up in a charismatic space. Um, In that charismatic space, uh, we had a particular view of communion. That communion was a symbol, a ritualistic symbol at that. We would take it once a quarter um, I would stand up on stage often when I would administer communion and I'd pull off my ring and I'd talk about how this ring is a symbol. Um, and when I take it off, I don't become less married. I'm still married. Um, but yet I wouldn't articulate communion like that any longer. I wouldn't say that communion is just a symbol, though I think it is a symbol. I think it's so much more than that, which we'll get into here in a second, um, uh, but what was interesting is because of the way that I thought theologically about communion affected the way that I, I practiced communion. And because of the way that I thought about communion and because of the way that I practiced communion, I think it affected my experience of communion. And during the time that I was there, um, uh, I began to think differently about communion. I read Eric Metaxas' book on Luther. There's a lot of conversation about communion in that. Uh, I was reading Mark Devers' Nine Mark. There is a good bit of conversation about the Lord's Table there. I was hanging out with Methodists. I was hanging out with other people outside of my denominational tradition and seeing their passion and love and zeal for the Lord's Table. And it was something that was quite foreign to me. It was something that was quite odd to me at the time. Now I look back on it and realize that I was the odd one. Uh, In fact throughout church history uh, the Lord's table uh, is actually a very very important thing the Eucharist is something that the church has always uh, 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 gathered around and loved and adored and, and, and held as as kind of like the pinnacle of the service uh, but but as I'm going through this theological practice I'm like okay theologically I now disagree and when we left that church and I, and I stopped being a pastor there at that church and I, and I joined the village uh, we took communion every single week at the village so so I have this theological thought about communion now and I'm having a habitual practice of communion now as a as a again a reflection of right thinking pr- produces these kinds of right actions and these right actions actually produce in me an experience. Uh, when we first started going to the village, my wife noticed that you know I would enjoy worship, I would enjoy the preaching of God's word. but when we took the Lord's table, I mean, it, like you could feel the presence come on you. As you take the Lord's table, as you drink of the wine, as you take of the bread, as you as you take the body and the blood, and you you consume these things, that there's grace being given, and there's there's a power and a presence of God that is that is manifest in that the Lord's table. And I was experiencing this in such a unique way, uh, and it's not to say that all of us have to experience this, but I do think that there's a connection. I changed the way that I thought about communion. This changed the way that I practice communion, and thus it changed the way that I experienced communion. And as we talk about worship, as we go through worship, I want us to think about worship in such a way of thinking rightly about these things that we do, these practices we have, that, that in our practicing, we do them in a kind of habitual way in light of what we think about them. Because if we think rightly, we're going to practice rightly. And if we practice rightly, we're actually going to experience rightly. So so let's just use the same kind of illustration, but let's pull it over for a second. Let's talk about me and my wife's relationship, right? So I think to have a real knowledge of my wife as her husband, to have a right positional knowledge of my wife as her husband, I have to have a, a, a knowledge of my wife, uh, what would be a logical or rational understanding of who she is. If someone asked me, hey, what color are, are her eyes and what color is her hair? And I said, she's got these brown eyes and this jet black hair. You would go, no, your wife has blue eyes and this sandy blonde hair when it's not dyed, right? So, so uh, you would know. You would know my wife and, and you would question whether I knew my wife if I gave her, her the wrong descriptors, if I didn't know the right facts about her. But that's still not a knowledge of her. You can know facts about Julius Caesar and not know him. Right. So there's kind of this progressive kind of knowledge. And if, if you know things about someone that you know that they are are desirable, right? My wife is beautiful, she's smart, she's caring, she's compassionate. It's because of that that I want to spend time with her. And thus thus I got married because I want to spend a lot of time with her. Right. So so we go on these dates as a as a kind of a way of gathering together and just focusing my attention on her. And she's focusing her attention on me. And this is a practice that we go on often, not often enough, frankly. Uh, but but I couldn't just say, Hey, Josie. You know, I said at the, at the altar when I married you that I love you. Why would I ever need to say that again? In fact, it's the knowledge of how I feel about my wife that's actually being shared regularly through this habituation, that that through uh, this practice of gathering together on this date, we are remembering the things about each other, discussing these things about each other. And that actually informs our experience of our actual love and adoration as we as we have an, a deeper, intimate knowledge of one another. These things kind of flow from one into the other, and in many ways aren't hierarchical as they are cyclical. Uh, and in many ways, people will experience God's pre- presence before they come to a knowledge of God's presence. You think about Cornelius. He had an experience with an angel who led him to Paul, and Paul preached the gospel. And it was then that he got saved, but his experience happened first, and his salvation came through the word later. Uh, so so there is a a use of these things, and but they are cyclical. Um, sometimes you practice things. you You know, You don't feel love for your spouse right now, but you date them and you date them regularly. And it turns out that these emotions are stirred up in your heart. And there are people who just go to church and they don't actually have a love for God. I remember when I first started going to Bible school uh, and I would pray. It was so hard to pray, but after a while, prayer became my most favorite thing. It was actually the practice of prayer that stirred in me the love and the experience that came from prayer. So you'll see that these kinds of things are cyclical in nature. One informs the other, which informs the other, which informs the other. And it just kind of turns into this kind of beautiful pattern. Uh, So since we're talking about um, communion, I've already talked about communion up until this point. Let's get into the theological reasons for why uh, I believe that communion uh, is more than just symbol. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 is our first text. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup, after supper, saying, This eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why uh, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So here in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, the Apostle Paul is giving instruction on communion. Now there's a couple of passages that are really important here. Uh, One is the theological principle. Remember, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Well, as we take of the cup, right, as we eat it, do this as often uh, as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often, this is verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why do we do it? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a thing behind our practice. We, we don't just do the practice. We know why we're doing the practice because when we do it, we're proclaiming his death, right? And then there is the practice itself. The practice itself, we do it when we come together. Uh, the apostles Paul says, at the beginning of chapter eleven, he says, uh, but in the following instructions, I do not uh, uh, commend you because when you come together, he's talking about every time that the church gathers together, they practice communion now he he then scolds them for the way that they're practicing communion by making divisions and and dividing them, and someone's getting drunk on wine and like it's getting it's getting out of control. Uh, but but and he scolds them for such for such activity, but it seems as if when they gather together, um, the, the, the administration of the Eucharist was something that took place in the early church every time they gathered together. So when they gathered together, take the Eucharist. And as you take the Eucharist, realize when you're taking it, you're proclaiming His death until he returns so it's the thing that happened in the past but it's also this thing that's going to happen in the future that we're longing for the day when Christ comes again that's what we're doing that's the that theological principle that first knowledge the the data point the the prescriptive knowledge what we what we're going to call the kind of logical reasoning of understanding right that's that's our understanding and then our next piece is that that we're going to practice this, how we're gonna do it we're gonna do the the, we're gonna have the 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 body and the blood we're gonna have the bread and the wine the the juice and the wafer if you will that these things Things are the what we're practicing. That we're taking this in remembrance of Christ. This is how we're habituating this proclamation. Right. So knowledge, uh, habituation, and then there's this experience. Now, in this passage, uh, there are there are. I mean, the the clear experience is not a good one, uh, but it's actually experiencing this in an unworthy manner. They say that they're taking communion in an unworthy manner. Uh, They're guilty concerning the body. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the body and the blood of the Lord in verse 27. And in verse 29, he says, For for anyone who eats and drinks without uh, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And he says, that's why some of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died in verse 30. He says, some people have died because they were taking communion in an unworthy manner. This is not just a symbol. If you hold it as a symbol, why are people dying? Uh, Jesus said here, this is my body, this is my blood. Uh, from the earliest Christian traditions, we have this idea that Christ is really present in the communion. Now, this is not some kind of pro-Roman Catholic rant on uh, communion, as I many of you know exactly where I, I land up on this, uh, but, but check out this from Ignatius of Antioch. He says, take note of those who hold a heterodox Opinions on the grace of Jesus Christ, which has come to us, and see how contrary their opinions are to the mind of God. Uh, He continues when he says, They abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this one is from Cyril, Uh, the bread and the wine of the Eucharist before the holy invocation of the adorable Trinity were simply bread and wine, but the invocation having been made, the bread becomes the body of Christ and the wine, the blood of Christ. Martin Luther says, of all the fathers, as many as I can name, none of them have ever spoken uh, about the sacraments as these fanatics do. Uh, None of them use such an expression as it is simply bread and wine or Christ's body and blood are not present. Yet this subject is so frequently discussed by them, uh, it is impossible that they should have not at some time have let slip such an expression as it is simply bread or, uh, or not that the body of Christ is physically present or the like. So here, uh, Martin Luther is trying to say, look, uh, the early patristics, uh, all of these church fathers agree unanimously that Christ is present, and not saying, whoa, 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 whoa no, 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 this is just bread, this is just wine. He's like, no, there's a real presence, a real mystical union that is taking place. Now, this isn't necessarily the Roman Catholic view. Uh, actually, you'll find that Anglicans, you'll find that Lutherans, you'll find the Eastern Orthodox, and other various traditions such as Methodists that come out of the Anglican tradition. Uh, you'll see that many of them hold to what would be called a real presence, something that's really mystical? Even the Calvinists would say there's some kind of mystical union that takes place where where Christ is spiritually present, and and we as uh, as as uh, as evangelicals today we realize that Christ is seated in heaven. Uh, all Christians everywhere agree that Christ is seated in heaven, but yet He is mediating this through the power of His Spirit. Now, the the idea that communion is just a symbol is a new Christian practice. Uh, it, it's not historic in Back into the Patristic era, it's not being uh, traced as a common uh, theological theme throughout history. Uh, but this idea that it's just a symbol, I, I, w- I would kind of do away with personally. There are many of my Christian brothers who who hold that it's a symbol and they practice it regularly. They they do it. They 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 do it in a way that's worthy to the Lord. And I don't mean to to do uh, kind of a, a bashing of communion of people who disagree with me. Uh, but but what I I would want to say. Is that I think theologically, um, having a right appropriation of looking at Christ, and saying this is His body and this is His blood. When we take this, He is being mystically united through us through the work of the Spirit in a unique way that He is not at other times. Right. So, so we are His body in one sense, but we're also taking His body. In another sense, right? We're receiving within ourselves some kind of m- mystically being united with Christ in the midst of communion. There's this this presence, this power that's actually there. Now, whether whether we whether we feel it or not is is neither here nor there. But I think theologically, if we believe it and we practice it, we invite ourselves into that place of intimacy of experience. Again, using the illustration of prayer. When I was in Bible school early on, I I practiced. I had a theology of prayer. He hears me. He, he knows what I need before I pray. I trust him. I begin to practice that prayer, and there wasn't a much of love and devotion that stirred up. But as I begin to practice it in light of right theology, I begin to experience not only the answers to my prayers, but a tangible presence of God as I begin to pray. Uh, so here, even in communion, what we see is this is his body, this is his blood. He is mystically present in a supernatural and unique way when we take of the cup, when we take of the bread. Uh, So this is a a beautiful Christian tradition, uh, but now let's, let's move a little bit from the conversation of the Eucharist, and let's actually talk about the Scriptures. Now, the next one that we have in here, and, and I see all the comments coming in. I'm going to answer questions and comments here uh, here in a second. So if you have questions, go ahead and drop them in the comment section now. I, I want to ask you guys to to, to write the, the word question or put a Q and then write your question so that I can search for those here in a moment. Uh, but but the next one that we have on the list is going to be God's Word. When we're talking about this this worship, one of the central things that is important to worship is the, the practice of God's Word. For example, 1st uh, Timothy uh, chapter 4 verse 13 tells us that until I come Paul speaking to Timothy until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and to teaching. So here we see that the apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy that when he's practicing when he's when he's practicing church together when we gather together that we should use the public reading of scripture. Certainly read scripture on your own uh, absolutely but when we gather together for worship. Publicly devote yourself to the reading, the public reading of God's word, the teaching and the exhortation that would I- include the, the public reading, the explanation and the application. Right, the teaching is explaining the text, and the exhortation would be the applying the text or urging your congregation to to follow in the light of that text. So what we see is that God's word is commanded as a practice to be used, but why? Why is it used? Well, in First Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, it tells us that it's profitable. Right? I'm sorry. Second Timothy three sixteen says, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have uh, this is verse fourteen, and have been convinced of, because you know uh, you know those from who you've learned it, and how from infancy uh, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation and faith." In Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching. Uh, rebuke, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here it says, faith in Christ Jesus. This is a knowledge of who Jesus is. How do I know who Christ is? It's the scriptures themselves. And the scriptures allow me to place trust in faith in Jesus. The all-sufficient scriptures are sufficient. So when we talk about this first kind of knowledge, when the word of God is given, there is this rational knowledge that it's given. And for my charismatic brothers who think rationale is somehow at war with the work of the Spirit, let me just remind you that when, I, when I'm when i saying rationale, I just mean logical. Even the faith in Hebrews, it's the substance, it's the evidence, right? Faith doesn't say check your brain at the door. Spiritual things doesn't say check your brain at the door. In fact, God commands us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, sidebar over. Now, when he, when he's talking here about faith in Jesus, he's talking about this Rightly affirms who Christ is. I mean, eternal life is to know God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. So, and we can find that in the all-sufficient scriptures. Uh, and as First Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says, it's profitable for, for us. So, so there's this public, there's pu- public. <laughs> a big fancy word that I just made up. There's this public reading of scripture that Timothy is encouraged to, to practice as a community. Why is he practicing it? First, first level, it gives us a knowledge of who God is right? right. So we have this logical understanding of who he is. This informs our practice. This, this affects how we gather together for a public reading of scripture that involves teaching and exhortation, so the, 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 the explanation and the application of a given text. And then following to that, it gives us an experience of that word. Now, Now this is an odd thing for most people. You would want to experience God in worship. You want to experience God in prayer, and this might be as foreign to you as experiencing God in communion, but as the Word of God is being used and is being exercised, it does something. We can experience something as the Word of God is being read. Christ is mystically united to His Word, and and then again, that might sound odd to you. But but the beginning of Second Timothy chapter, uh, I'm sorry, not the beginning, but in Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen, it says, "All Scripture is God breathed." That word is theonustos. It's breathed out by God. It's like this this extension. The Bible says that The natural person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, right? Uh, The spiritual person is able to judge those words. So here here we have the Spirit has breathed out the word. The Spirit helps us reveal the word. Uh, What we know about the anthropology of man is that we're depraved, we hate God and we love our sin and the Spirit of God makes us us alive. He, the Spirit of God regenerates our heart. The, the Spirit of God pulls us from darkness and into light. I could not love God's Word. I, I would not love God's Word because I could not love God's Word. It's the Spirit that has breathed out the Word. It's the Spirit who convicts us of God's Word, and it's the Spirit who draws us to a knowledge of the truth through God's Word. So there is this grace, this power that is present. Uh, uh, we, we, we see in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God into salvation. The Word of God is powerful. The Spirit has been has been connected mystically through the Word of God, and we can experience the Spirit as we read the Word of God, as we gather together for the public preaching and teaching of God's Word, and this actually happens in the scriptures themselves. We see it here in Luke chapter 24, verse 32. They said to each other, this is on the, the road to Emmaus. They're they're talking. Jesus is explaining to them all of the scriptures, right? He's explaining to them the scriptures. And they said, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road and when he opened to us the scriptures, when he opened up the scriptures. So here in this passage, we have two individuals who were walking on this road Jesus appears, and as he is teaching them the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, their hearts begin to burn within them. They experience a conviction of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 37, uh, after after Peter had preached the gospel, after he had gone forward and preached the gospel, going through, uh, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, you have crucified him, calling them to repentance, using the scriptures, both old—well, not both old and new, because the new wasn't there you, compelling uh, his audience to be faithful to the Old Testament scriptures and repent. Uh, they say in verse 23, now when they heard these things they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now is this is this an emotional experience? Well yeah. Yeah, it's emotional experience. Are we are we to remove emotions from the experience, from the the presence of God convicting us? No. In fact, if we experience the convicting power of God, if anything, that should be incentive or awareness for us to realize that God is in our midst. So again, I believe there's a theological principle to understanding. There's a there's a, a practice in uh, a habituation in practicing. And then there's an experience that often flows from that, and I, and I hope that as you go through here, you, you're not hearing me say that every time you take communion, you should feel the tangible, manifest presence of God, or you're not Christian, or or every time that you hear God's word being spoken, that, that you should feel the tangible presence of God, or or you're not Christian, uh, or, or that you're to to gauge your spiritual experience against someone else's. But no, I, I just want to want to encourage you that you can be invited. Into this kind of communion with God. You can be invited as you worship, as you gather together on the Lord's Day. Why do you gather? You're gathering to be with God on the Lord's day, to receive the grace that he lavishly gives to his children. We're receiving these beautiful gifts, and when he's passed down to us, we receive his word, we receive his fellowship, we receive his communion through the sacraments. We have received these beautiful, beautiful gifts that he has come to give us. And when we gather together, we can actually experience this. Now, for the next one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So here we have a couple, right? Uh, You actually have uh, one, let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching. So here's that, again, that principle, that knowledge of God. There's the practice among when you gather together, uh, all together, teaching one another, right? Uh, Not just teaching yourself, not just teaching your children, but teaching the one another. So there's this gathering aspect of praise that takes place, uh, teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? Uh, And we see this in Psalm chapter 23, verse 3, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. God inhabits the praises of, of his people, uh, if you think about the Old Testament and the system of worship, uh, when they put together the temple for worship, uh, the Bible says that the that the spirit fell so mightily in this place it was like a glory cloud that no one could stand in god's presence that this this cloud filled that space and the same thing happened when uh uh, not samuel when saul inaugurated the temple when he put the temple together uh uh, not saul uh uh david's son uh solomon Uh, when solomon inaugurates the temple there's a glory that fills the temple in in such a way that the the priest cannot stand in the presence of the lord next we see in leviticus chapter 9 verses 24 that fire came out from the presence of the lord uh so fire came out uh, from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering uh, uh, and the pieces of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So again, even the worship in the temple that was instituted by God was instituted in such a way that he was involved and he was inhabiting this the system of sacrifice and the system of worship. And when we, when we think of worship, I, I want you to think, of the uh i mean the 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 people of israel come out of egypt and they build this golden calf Right? They build this golden calf and they say, Look, behold, the God of Israel took you out of the land of Egypt. They tried to to construct a strong, bold, powerful God that that would symbolize strength and might. They were trying to attribute glory and value and worth to the God uh, of heaven, the God who'd delivered them out of Egypt. And yet God is angry with them because He is, He is, they have they have belittled God into an image, and, and not just any image, but the image of a cow, a golden cow. And God is not a created thing, and and there's anger that burns in the heart of God, and, and God almost annihilates the entire nation of Israel because of this horrible, heinous act. Uh, so so this tells us about worship, and it actually informs us from the passage that we have already read, where where he says, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like, the word of Christ is what what we say back to God when we worship when we praise what we're doing is we're we're learning from god right again there's that learning piece we're practicing it we're praising him and he inhabits that praise but he doesn't just inhabit any praise he, in, he inhabits praise that is rightly worshiping him and this is a very important thing uh, it's it's not uh, when we when we look at the word it's easy that's God's this is it right here this is the Bible right this is it when we look at communion it's pretty easy everyone gets it bread juice we got it that's that's communion this is the Bible no one really debates on the elements of it but on worship this is or praise for that matter we do want to debate we want to debate on well the hard expression of this or this or that but but here's the thing it's got to be word centered it's got to be Bible centered it's got to be Christ centered how do we how do we focus on on God in the midst of this and sing to him the things that he has told us about himself. To attribute a false word or a false praise to God is not something that he inhabits, but we have seen, as we have looked through the scriptures, both old and new, uh, God does inhabit the praise of his people. I mean, it was Paul uh, was trapped in prison, and as he begins to sing worship songs, they're all set free from their chains, and there's probably a charismatic platitude found somewhere in there, but, but, but here's the thing, there is power in the praise, there's presence in the praise. There's there's a song in heaven. Uh, there's a song that is sung about the judgment of God and the wrath of God and how He brings justice, uh, not not angry beating the, the the child who can't do better at wrath, but the just punishment of the wicked sort of wrath. And they sing this praise to God, and glory fills the temple in heaven. So here we have a regular pattern, old and new, of uh, of, of worship, that we we learn the knowledge of God, like the Word, we learn knowledge of God. Uh, in communion, we have a knowledge of God. We're proclaiming Christ until he comes with the Word. We're learning about who God is. Worship, we're teaching one, one another one other psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're practicing communion. We're practicing the public reading of Scripture. We're practicing our worship as we gather together through our praise, right? And then we're experiencing God in communion. We're experiencing God in the Word, and we're experiencing God in uh, our public praise. So in all of these areas, we are actually encountering the Holy Spirit who's empowering us with His grace and sustaining us with these beautiful gifts from God. with all the saints, what is the breadth, length, depth, height, and the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? Now to Him who is able to be to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power of the work, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory uh, in 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 the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So here in this passage, he makes the case that we are going to uh, be rooted and grounded in love, right? That Christ may bear witness in our hearts through faith, right? So we're be rooted and grounded in love, love of Christ, that together with all the saints that we would know the breadth, length, depth, height of the love of God, that we may be full with all the fullness of God right? Um, uh, uh, To experience a love that surpasses knowledge, Ephesians chapter 3 says. So here we have a love that with the saints, height, breadth, length, depth, that the saints, there's something about that saintly gathering that helps us measure out the love of God. We we can't come to a full knowledge of of who God is, but there are these parts of who God is who's made Himself clearly known through the Holy Scriptures and, and that have been experienced through people. People would say, Hey, He really, really forgives. Look what He's delivered me from. Look what He's freed me to. Another would say, Look what He has He's brought me into. How He's prospered me. Another would say, Look, He has made me rich. Another said, Look, He has made me poor one is saying hey uh, I have been broken and I've been weak and look what he's he's taught me through this suffering and another one who's like I have been healed and I have conquered and look what he has he has gone he has done through me that that, that both the, the the poor and the rich and the, and the sick and the well that they have been sitting under the nurturing power of Christ being led by his word being led by his sovereign hand and in doing so there are these measurable portions of God's love he is making himself known and we're we're saying look his his love goes all the way here and his love goes all the way here but then it says that we may know the love of God that surpasses knowledge it's an experience right so 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 uh, uh, the the apostle whoever I see the apostle whoever writes the book of hebrews tells us to not neglect right to not neglect yeah it's in hebrews chapter 10 yeah, to not to, to not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So so it says to, to gather together. Don't neglect the gathering of the saints. So there's a practice, okay? So what's there's a knowledge that he gives us as we gather together, we're measuring out this love of God. There's a practice that we're not to neglect the gathering of the assembly. And, and there is an experience that that takes place in the midst of this, right? That that he, he there's this love that surpasses no. Knowledge and what is a, a knowledge of God that surpasses knowledge other than an experience of God or an experience from God. I mean, Jesus says, "When two of you or more are gathered in one place, there I am in your midst." There it is again—that mystical union that Christ has provided for us in the church. And this is something that I—I I hope, I hope that you're you're beginning to track on some of these things because right now, if you do church online or if you think that you can watch remnant radio and and you get your church feel somehow, let me just affirm something to you. Um, No. No. There's actually this beautiful mystical union that takes place when we gather together right? I remember an interview that we had uh, recently with a Church of Christ minister who, who warmed my heart, and I will never, ever answer this question again the same ever, as long as I live. When someone asks me, Josh, why do you go to church? The answer is because one day, Jesus, one day in the past, my Jesus died on a cross and gathered all nations to himself. And then one day in the future, my King will return and will gather us from the four corners of the earth. And, and on the Lord's day, every week, I gather together with the saints, remembering what he has done in the past, looking forward to what he will do in the future and realizing he is not, he's not far away in the past or far away in the future. He is ever present with me as I gather with the saints. If, if you're doing church online, look at what you're robbing yourself from. You're robbing yourself from the mystical union of communion that you get through the elements of the bread and the wine. You're robbing yourself of the communion that you can have with the body of believers as we as we worship God and He inhabits the praise of all of His people. You're robbing yourself of the mystical union that you get when you actually physically gather together with the saints on the Lord's Day. You're robbing yourself of true fellowship, of true bread, of true drink. You're robbing yourself of this experience that you get to have with God. And again, I really, really want to affirm for those of you who are watching, uh, you have questions, make sure to drop your questions in the comment section. I'm going to address those just here in one moment. But I really want to affirm right now, for those of you who are watching and you're like, man, I don't have this experience. Well, I I encourage you, a lot of this comes from a knowledge of who God is. Right? A knowledge of why these things are prescribed. Why is scripture prescribed? Why is gathering together prescribed? Why is uh, communion prescribed? Realizing what those things are, realizing that there's a practice that flows out of that knowledge, and that through that knowledge and that practice, there are these invitations of the Spirit. There's a power of the Spirit where we are aware of His presence in those moments. Uh, and this is a beautiful opportunity that I wish that we would not rob ourselves from. We've made a very strong emphasis on worship. Uh, in the West, we've made a very strong emphasis that, man, man, we've got to prepare our hearts to receive God's Word through worship. But God's Word is worship. God's Word is worship. Praise God, when we say back to God, when we call people to repent, God's heart is thrilled. His presence is there. He's moving in our midst. There's this this mystical union of the spirit and the word that work through God's preaching and teaching through through the office of the elder and overseer. There is this beautiful thing that happens, but we've made such an emphasis on worship and yet and yet we often claim we experience God the most in worship. And why is that? I think it's because we've spent an emphasis on teaching worship and we've made an emphasis on practicing worship. And because we've made an emphasis on teaching worship and practicing worship, we experience God's presence in the midst of worship. So again, full circle, talking about again, communion, the gathering of the saints, the preaching of God's word in worship. When we make a theological Understanding and reasoning for why we do things. We preach and teach on them. We practice them. It invites us into an opportunity of experiencing them. So, if you want to experience more of God's presence, what I would invite you into is a deeper knowledge of who God is and the things, the practices that He has instituted for His church to practice. Haven't been able to tackle prayer, haven't been able to tackle some of these other elements that I think are quite valuable in the Christian walk, but I do think that this will actually give you a strong foundation to having a beautiful understanding of what liturgy is and why it's important and why having these habitual practices that we perform are actually good for the Christian walk. They're good for the Christian faith and ought not to be removed and stripped as an attempt to not be religious. Some of these things are actually instituted by God. All the things that I've mentioned are instituted by God and ought to be performed on every gathering uh, of the Lord's day when we gather together for the public reading, preaching, sacraments in worship. Okay, let's dive in to some of these questions. But first, let's just run through some announcements as I read through some of these questions. I, I want to remind you guys uh, that we're entirely crowdfunded. You can give there in Patreon. Also, uh, a great place uh, to connect with us is an upcoming conference. So we here we have the Prophetic Reformation Conference, uh, February 8th through the 12th. PropheticReformationOKC.com is where you check out that information. And if you use the promo code REMNANTRADIO, P-R-O-K-C, uh, you're going get a discount a low discount rate for for being a viewer here at remnant radio those who are on patreon i'm actually gonna be releasing the patreon code you get like a 10 bucks extra off so uh yeah check it that out i'd love to see you guys there you can follow the link in the description to their website and register if that's something that you're interested in doing that'll hopefully give you guys a couple extra seconds to get some of your questions in Okay. Okay. So I've got a few of these questions that I'm going to try to address to the best of my ability. I'm going to pull them up one at a time. Uh, uh, Darren, uh, is the goal feelings? No, the goal is not feelings. The goal is to glorify God. And I do believe that um, as, uh, as I think it's Piper who stated, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I would say, as holistic beings, as holistic creatures, um, it, the goal isn't our thoughts. It's not our, our mind. It's not our will. It's not our emotions. But we are holistic beings, and as holistically, we worship the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That when we when we love Him and worship Him with all of our being, uh, that that with all of our being, uh, that that our heart is pointed in such a way to be satisfied in Him. That if He is the object of our affection, uh, that we are fully uh, satisfied in Him. That that He is most glorified in us. So I would say that though feelings are a part of the Christian life, they're not the, the totality of the Christian life by any stretch of the imagination, Um, Any more than that thoughts are, is everything about our thoughts, is everything about getting a bunch of knowledge and putting it together and being little brains on a stick? No. Uh, any more than getting a bunch of knowledge about my wife and knowing the color of her hair and knowing the height and, and knowing all the different details about her would actually be a, a satisfactory knowledge of my wife. I don't really know her unless I've experienced her. We've 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 done life together. We've lived together, uh, and those kinds of things. So I would encourage, um, uh, I, I guess, a broader definition of that. Um, this is a question. How. That I saw in here. There we go. How do you know that your experiences are from God? All these are from Darren. Darren, you're asking good questions. Yeah, yeah. You got a question mark on yours, so they come up. So, uh, how do you know that your experience is from God? I would say that every, like everything else, right? Um, I don't even know that your experience needs to come from God. So, like when, when I'm again, I'm going to use the 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 illustration of my wife. Me and my wife are are sitting across from each other. We're on a date, and I feel romance now is my feeling of romance um actually initiated by my wife um or is my feeling of romance uh based off of um the nostalgia of the restaurant that we're at the music that is playing the the different things that are going on it, it doesn't but does that make my feeling for my wife less valuable um because my feeling is not coming directly from god that god isn't giving me this this feeling this emotional feeling um no uh so again, uh, I, I have emotions from God, uh, but again, you might be talking about feelings as in sensations or experiences from the Lord, uh, in, in which case I would just say that the Bible makes a truth claim about the presence of God and the glory of God multiple times uh, in both the Old and New Testament. And these truth claims about God's spirit is that God's presence was there, or God's presence or his spirit came upon an individual or, or or everyone felt the presence of God and no one was able to stand. And they might use the word felt, um, but I would say, again, the sensation of burning, the inability to stand. There was something that happened physiologically at Jesus when walking through uh, a crowded city. The woman with the issue of blood touches his garment and he feels power come out of him. How did he know that that that, that feeling was from God? I don't know, but he felt something and he turned around and responded to it. Um, so I would say that um, you don't have to know your feelings are from God if we're talking about emotions. And even when we're talking about. Like physiological feelings, again, I don't think that our physiological feelings are everything. If anything, I would say that our physiological feelings, independent from um, knowledge of God, are actually really dangerous. Um, I would just say that there's a holistic part of knowledge. Um, and not we're as, as holistic beings, mind and will and emotions and, and having all these different things that interplay that are, you know, we have a a fallen will and we've got this will that, that that's from the spirit convicting us on on different things in which to do. It's kind of hard to make sense of all that we are. Uh, all I'm saying is that emotions play a part, that feelings, even your sensation feelings play a part in this. Uh, and that's not wrong. That's not Uh, it's not an error, it's an egregious and I would just say that epistemologically I think the charismatic movement as far as knowledge goes, they're actually addressing something that the West has tried to do away with Um, in like post-enlightenment the idea of like, hey, we have the data, we have the stats, if we can't put it on chart we don't want to talk about it, and I do think that there's a space for emotion, for relationship with experience uh, that kind of transcends some of these things, so um, this is a question. I haven't read it yet. Nathaniel, he asked, so is Josh stating that the gathering is not really a gathering at all? Uh, the pandemic exists, but I still see the need to obey. Um, uh, Hebrews 10.25. I'm going to pull it up. I apologize. I'm not Michael Roundtree. I don't have every Bible verse memorized. Hebrews 10.25. Yeah, that's the one I quoted earlier. Yeah, no, don't don't give it up. Don't give up the gathering. Yep, keep keep gathering. Gather. Absolutely. Is there a season in which that you might not gather because you've got a Spanish flu or something like that? Sure. Yeah. But but again, that's not to prohibit gathering and in fact you might have a season in which you don't have access to bread or you might not have an access to wine um and you choose to use water as a substitute now is that the normative means no you, you might have an experience where you're in the middle east and the guy's dying you know and uh, and he wants to be baptized right you, you're not gonna, you're going to not afford him baptism no you sprinkle that joker you get presbyterian real quick on him uh, otherwise you do it through immersion so i would just say that Um, there are normative means that have been prescribed for the church that the the church at all costs should attempt to follow uh, to the best of their ability. But then there, I would say that there are these kinds of means, these kinds of situations that we're placed in that we kind of have to do the best with what we've got. Um, And and there are some situations, like in Canada right now, there are pastors who have decided that they're going to gather together in um, absolute rebellion from their state. Um, And frankly, I don't think it's an unrighteous decision. I think they're actually um, standing up well and holding to what the scripture is, they're they're looking at the data um, from from what like is this thing going to infect? This is this going to thing going to kill my whole congregation? And they have costcos that are you know open to full capacity, but if you've got a church that's ten thousand members deep, you can only have ten people in that sanctuary at a time because you're a church. Um, that's a law that you know intentionally discriminates against churches. And uh, a lot of these pastors are like, nope, not doing that. We're just going to be in rebellion. And some of them are doing time. And I say yes and amen. Go for it. Way to go. Because they value that mystical union, And I think that's really, uh, really important. Um, so a couple other questions that I saw in here. Um, merit on emotional experience. The goal is not to merit an emotional experience. I agree that, uh, to Darren's question um, or statement that the goal is not to uh, enter into an emotional experience. I, I completely agree with that. The goal is to worship God. Actually, David asked a question in here That I wanted to address, okay, if worship isn't about seeking his presence, then what on earth is it about? And then he quotes Matthew 18, 20, which I believe is the passage where Jesus says, I have two more you gathered. I'm going to be there in your midst. Well, well, David, I'll tell you personally, worship is about saying back to God what he has said about himself, that God has told me who he is, And with a heart of love and adoration and belief and faith of who he is, I'm repeating that back to God and I'm living my life in light of that. So it's not just a praise song, but it's like literally living my life in a way that's holy and pleasing to the Lord because I love him and I want him to be glorified. I want him to be famous. I want him to be uh, 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 the chief end of my affection and my desire and my love. That's the goal. It's not what I get from it. Because love, uh, according to First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, love is selfless, right? It's not about me; it's about him. And I love God so much. But, but again, I I do believe that God has, as God is love, that He does reciprocate that. Um, God's presence is with us; He does inhabit our praise. God is uh, manifest in the Word, and when we when we gather in communion in these other different means. So, so I would push back maybe a little bit against uh, the statement of like. Clearly, this is about experiencing the presence. No, no, no. That's that's not exactly what it's about. Um, But as we um, as we do what we ought to do, as we practice what we ought to practice, so believe rightly and practice rightly. uh, There is a promise of an experience. We can trust God in that. We can believe that His presence is going to show up. But but again, the the pragmatic um, result of something we do and uh, and the promise of something we do is not necessarily why we do it. Um, That's the response that God that got answers with so um i would say that's probably a little bit different uh if there's any more questions drop them in there with the question um i think that is going to call it a day uh yep i think that's it that's all the questions i wrote down in the live chat while that stuff was up uh, that i have got down um are you saying that my questions aren't good Oh, no, no. You're, you're talking to David. You're not talking to me. I think your questions are great, Darren. Um, oh, wait. I have that clicked. So there are actually way more questions in here. Sorry, guys. Would you say that your view of the Lord's Table is kind of like Calvin's view? Love all this. I feel like I'm hearing myself talk a lot. Uh, oh, thanks, man. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'd say that my view on communion is like Calvin's. Uh, I, I'm not totally opposed to like the Anglican or Lutheran position either. I, I do, I, I think what it comes down to is I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, if I had to pick a, a position, I'd say Calvin, but I'm really okay with mystery and just saying like, God has mystically united us in a way, um, or has mystically united himself in the act of communion in a way I don't understand or comprehend. And I'm just okay with that. Uh, and I think that that would, would be a, a way in which Calvin would articulate it as well. Um, Okay, guys, I think I think we're at that spot. I appreciate you guys coming on. I know that I'm wrapping up just a few minutes early, but I ain't got no co-host, so that's kind of what you get. What you get. Uh, if you guys have any other questions, comments, concerns, you know, you can toss them in the comment section. Uh, we, I'll be honest, I don't typically get to those. Uh, uh There's so many that comes in. I think we get thousands of comments every day. It's insane how many comments we get on all of our videos. I mean, right now we're we're averaging between like 230,000 to like 300,000 views, uh, in a given month. So the amount of comments that come in every day, every week are just, just so insane. Um, so w- what I'd like, or what I'd ask you to do is if it's like a, a super pertinent question, you can hit me up on Facebook on messenger. It's a really great way, uh, under, uh, remnant radio that, that, that'd be the best way to kind of contact us in that regard. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's that. I, I really appreciate you guys for the show coming on, listening. Uh, Like I said before, Tyler crowdfunded, you can give in the links of the description and we'll see you next Monday. Uh, We're talking to the Bible answer guy. Uh, We're talking to Matt and ask Bible answer guy. He is the, not the Bible answer man. That's Hank Hanegraaff. We're talking to the 10 minute Bible hour, talking to Matt uh, about his experience interviewing and engaging with all these cross denominational groups uh, in his program. It's going to be a really cool episode. So make sure to tune back in with us this Monday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Blessings, guys, and we will see you next time.